28 Americans dead. We don't know how many others are taken into captivity. We know there were already hundreds of Americans in Gaza when this began. I have yet to hear a clear word that speaks to our people who are caught in the middle of tragedy and many who have already, their lives have been taken by demonic forces. I haven't heard nearly enough about that. I thought as Americans that wherever we are on the planet, that our nation was there protecting us. And now we have an agenda in which hostages can be taken and money will be given to restore them. When did that happen? Do you realize that this is a whole new world in which we live? And the lines are drawn between good and evil. And those who were neutral, open, those in our many prominent colleges and universities who have an erudite approach to life have forgot the difference between right and wrong, life and death and good and evil. If I had a son or daughter in any one of those institutions, they would have to pay their own way or I'd bring them home tomorrow. There's no middle ground. God's people, God's people must always be on the side of life, healing, peace, reconciliation, but also God's people have to stand in a moment when evil attacks and God's people respond. And that's where we are right now in our history. In my opinion, this is a pivotal moment in history, a very pivotal moment in history, geopolitically, as far as nations, states, families are concerned, as far as religion is concerned, this is a pivotal moment in history, a decisive moment. And I just pray that God's people will humbly and strongly stand and humbly and strongly make a difference and do everything we can on behalf of life, certainly on behalf of peace, but there is no peace when evil and demonic elements are working on one side to destroy civilization. Could we pray together?
Father, we're in deep, deep ground. So many can be misunderstood. And Lord, it's not just a religious battle or political battle or geopolitical contest. Lord, we see above and beyond this, this is a kingdom battle. We pray that somehow, some way, that those who bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and those who stand for biblical principles would this time be vindicated. And Lord, we pray especially for all of those who are held as captives who've been raped and exploited and abused and harmed. Oh Lord, somehow may some come out and have life again. And may from this day forward, there be an awareness and an awakening among those who are in political leadership. Lord, we pray for America, we pray for our world. We stand for Christ, we stand for life, we stand for righteousness, we stand for justice as we make our prayer in the name of him who enables us to stand, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. If you've ever been to Hawaii and the island of Maui, the discussion always comes up. Are you going to Hana? Are you going to take the road to Hana? I've been there many times and I've told dozens of people, don't do it. Now the road to Hana is beautiful. They have 15 waterfalls. You go through a rainforest. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place to really feel a part of nature. The problem is it is one of the five most dangerous roads in the United States of America. It has 620 curves in it. Usually it's wall-to-wall -wall traffic. They have 64 bridges and 58 of them are one-lane bridges. Most of the highways are not wide enough on the road to even put a white line in the middle of the road. It is perilous. You can fall off on this side or that side, and therefore it is fraught with danger. And at night, it is overwhelmingly perilous. And the accidents and the deaths that accumulate, debate has been among the Hawaiian government to put guardrails up, said perhaps that would help, and perhaps it would to keep everybody in the highway. But the state responded and said, well, we just need to teach common sense. <laughs> oh boy. Common sense has become uncommon sense in our day and age. Have you noticed? But certainly guard rails need to be up when you're in a precarious situation. I don't think anything is more dangerous, precarious, 
frightening than marriage. We've been talking about marriage. We've laid down biblical principles that says, this is how a husband is to conduct himself. This is how a wife should conduct herself in the sacredness of marriage. And I've said it over and over again, if God's principles do not work in marriage, they do not work anywhere. And when they've been put in practice by Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit, they work every single time, no exceptions. And therefore we look at marriage and say, it is precarious, it is dangerous, it determines so much of life being meaningful or happy or fulfilled. And you look in the Bible, it tells us what marriage is. We've already talked about this. It says that marriage is like a garden. I love this passage in Song of Solomon. It says a garden enclosed, some translations say lockdown, others say secret, a secret garden, this is marriage, is my sister, is my friend, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed, marriage. Marriage is like a garden, a, a garden where flowers grow, a garden that is fruitful, a garden that has to be closed down, has to be sealed, a garden that has to have hedges around it. Hedges keep things in the garden that should stay in the garden. Hedges keep things out of the garden that should not get into the garden. This is the metaphor for marriage, a hedge. A hedge keeps from erosion coming. Hedge is a habitat for birds and butterflies. Hedges are planted and they grow and they are protected. Let me show you a little graph that we put up. A little graph of this. You see, you say, well, where do you get to see the hedges around the garden? Where do those hedges come from? They come from the initial Genesis 2 definition of marriage. It's repeated by Jesus, paraphrased in Matthew. So what does Genesis 2 say? It says marriage, you leave. See it, that's one hedge. It's severance. So many people when they get married, they do not leave yesterday. They still have priorities with their best friends, priorities with mom or dad, priorities in other areas and other arenas. Therefore, when you get married, you go into a whole new culture, a whole new world. You have to leave that old world. You don't just discard these people. No, they're important to you. But your primary person now has to be the one you said, I do to, and they said, I will to you. So it begins with leaving. That's one hedge. You leave, and that is severance. And then you cleave, that is unity. You cleave to one another. See the hedge over here? In other words, you hold on to her and she holds on to you. And that, that is the cleaving, that is the new relationship. You say, well, we become one personality. In one sense, you do. You become one personality. You have the feminine and the masculine aspect. You become one, but you one and you have to cleave, that you work at it, you maintain it. You know it's the highest priority in your life. You cleave, you leave, you cleave. That's another hedge. 
then you become one flesh. That is permanence. That is a reason divorce is suicide. Because in marriage, you become one flesh, a whole new personality, and therefore, that is a permanent thing, a permanent new life that God has brought together. What a magnificent hedge that is. Then you're unashamed. That's intimacy. There's no secrets. There's no other agendas. Naked is a thing of transparency, a thing of openness. Whatever you want to know, whatever you're about, I'm with it, I'm with you. There's no yesterday, there's only today and tomorrow. There is a transparency there, a, a vulnerability there that's important in marriage. You see the hedges that God puts around marriage right in the beginning to protect it, to keep things out that shouldn't be in, to keep things in that needs to be in marriage. These are the hedges of marriage and really they're established in the wedding commitment, in the covenant marriage, a man and a woman plus God. Here we have the hedges. And you know what's in the middle of this? This hedge, this marriage, this garden, it is Jesus Christ. Make something. If you want to just kind of ho-hum your way through marriage, guys, or just kind of, you know, I'm tired through your marriage, gals, you can't do that when you have these hedges up and Jesus Christ in the middle, he empowers us and gives the spirit, I like the word, to make your marriage sizzle. Love ideally is friendship that catches fire. And when friendship catches fire, that is when we're married in the Lord Jesus Christ and we say these vows, these commitments, and the hedges go up to protect us. Now let's get a little beyond this. Let's ask the question, what do we need to keep out of the garden of marriage? What do you need to keep out? First thing, adultery. There's no room for any other person to come in of the opposite sex in marriage and adultery is one of the basic causes for marriage explosions and breakups today. It's one of the biblical grounds for divorce along with desertion. No place, adultery. Modern statistics says that 46% of men in marriage are unfaithful to their vows sexually. Around 27% of women are unfaithful to their vows, commit adultery. Adultery needs to stay outside of marriage. Well, how do you handle it and all the sexuality of our culture? What does the devil use to twist you or twist me in marriage? He uses the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. By the way, it's so interesting. I've been speaking a long time, and when you talk about sex, everybody gets quiet. It works every time. <laughs> Just a little pastoral note. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Let's look at two biblical personalities. Let's look at David. 
David should have been at war. He was on the balcony. You know the story. He looked over. His next-door neighbor, Bathsheba, who was knocked out gorgeous, was bathing. She was naked. And the lust of the eye? Oh, yes. Lust of the flesh? Wow. And the pride of life. The lust of the eye got him. The lust of the flesh got him. And the pride of life? I'm king. I desire. I deserve. I can have anything I want. Adultery, look at the price that was paid for that act of adultery. And it's being paid over and over and over and over again in our culture, in so many, many marriages. Pregnant, child being born, her husband, one of the generals in David's army, had to be arranged for him being killed on the front line all of it set up and established. And then we see the disaster that follows. David, a man after God's own heart. Why, he wrote much of the book of Psalms. Well, I'm above that. No, you're not. Lust of the eye, lust of flesh, the pride of life. David fell ingloriously, cost him his family and Cost him his kingdom in one sense. Cost him his influence and a great offense. His life was defined perhaps more by that adultery tragically than almost anything else he did, and he did a lot. Look at another guy in the character. That's what happened to Dave. What happened to Joseph? Joe. Joe, handsome, came into a home that was filled with bickering and conflict between he and his brothers. He was sold as a slave, went down to Egypt. Because he had ability, he became in charge of Potiphar's house. Potiphar was perhaps the number two guy in all of Egypt. His wife had been Miss Egypt, beautiful, knocked out, sensual, had it all. David was there with her and she kept propositioning him, propositioning him. It's pretty accepted, probably in that Egyptian society, propositioning him. He said, no, no, no. But one day, she grabbed him. She propositioned him. David, she held on to his coat. And David pulled himself away. Excuse me, Joseph pulled himself away. And what did Joseph have? Look at Miss Potiphar. Same thing, David. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life, right? He saw Ms. Potiphar, beautiful. Man, he was single. Lust, lust of flesh, absolutely. He, he was a man. The pride of life, he understood the pride in his life different than what David understood, the pride in his life, because you have to read what Joe, what Joe said when he looked at Ms. Potiphar. He said, look, your husband put confidence in me. I'm over everything in his house. I'm supposed to protect you, not to abuse you. And then he said, Mrs. Potiphar, I'll tell you something else. You are the wife of your husband. You have a vow there. And then Joe looked up and said, and God sees me. You see, the pride of life in his life saved him from an adulterous relationship. In marriage, adultery, other relationships with the opposite sex stays outside. The hedge keeps it out. What else keeps out? Abuse. How many people are abused in marriage? Maybe not physical abuse, 
if there's physical abuse, leave immediately. Don't look back. Leave. Period. Leave. Now, there's other kind of abuse that just builds up. You, you nag, you, you, you criticize, you, you ridicule. You, you, you just cut somebody down. I know a couple that are always playing one-upmanship. One will say something, oh no, that may not be right. Oh yes, and so much dogmatism. I am right, you need to listen to me. I wish you were like comparisons, abuse. So many men and women who are married, they abuse one another with verbiage, with bribes, with I'll do this if you'll do that. How silly is that gamesmanship? Marriages have a lot of abuse. It has keep abuse outside those hedges. Keep adultery outside those hedges. And finally, apathy, apathy. Well, we've been married, you know, this long, and I'll tell you, it's just real. I hear all of that all the time, and I'd say, how stupid can you be if you're a Christian and your marriage is ho, ho, hum? Apathy sets in. I, I read years ago the seven years of the common cold, seven stages. They just get married. She's sniffling a little bit. She says, he says, oh, my darling, the first year. Oh, my darling, you've got a cold. I want to take you right now to the emergency room, and you need to get checked out. A lot of things are going on around this world. I need to get you down there and get you. And boy, they run to the emergency room. First year. Second year, common cold. And he says, oh, my dear. We, we're going to go right now to see Dr. Miller, see if we can get in so he can check you out. I don't like the sound of those sniffles. Second year. Third year, common cold. Hmm, I see that you, you're sort of down and you're, you're, you're sniffling a little bit. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to fix dinner tonight and, and, uh, and you just sit down and do we have any soup? Fourth year, common cold. Oh, darling, let, let, let me tell you, uh, you, after you fix dinner and feed the kids and clean up the kitchen, I think you ought to go to bed early. <laughs> Fifth year of marriage, common cold. Take two Tylenol and go to bed. Sixth year, common cold. You're just barking, barking, barking. Man, you, 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 I can't even... Watch the football game with all your barking. You're like some kind of whale or something. Seventh year, common cold. All that sneezing, are you trying to give me pneumonia? You see how apathy sets in? Year by year by year by year, there's not that springtime. There's not that fulfilling of the role of the husband and the wife. The wife is cheering. The husband is cherishing. My goodness, what a beautiful duet that is. And God comes in and plays the melody. Dispute. Abuse a bruised heart in an argument. 
And you know that person has been bruised. You may have bruised them. They may have bruised you, and they're sort of silent. And that bruised heart just stays around. You don't talk about it. You don't deal with it. And that bruised heart becomes a, a cold heart. You know, you go through the motions. Oh, yes, I enjoyed that. Yes, we could go together. And you know, you sort of say in the words, but it's phony as a $3. Y'all, every husband and wife, you know where I am. Don't look so pious. Yeah, oh yeah, you bruised heart becomes a cold heart. You just sort of play the game. Then if you stay with that cold heart, it'll become a hard heart. And that's hardened. I don't care. I'm mad. You're wrong. I'm right. I'll never forgive. We won't get a hard heart. And that hard heart stays there, it becomes an apathetic heart. It doesn't matter. For years, I did marital counseling. I do that no longer. And I'd see a couple come in, they were mad at each other. They had this side and that side, and they went on and on, and there's hope. When they come in, or he or she says, I don't care what she does, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm finished, I'm through. Apathetic heart. That has no place in marriage. All of this, the adultery, the abuse, the apathy has no place inside the hedges of a marriage in which Jesus Christ and his principles are operating in that relationship. Outside the hedges. What do you keep inside the hedges? In the garden of marriage, what has to stay inside? Number one is communication, civil communication. When communication gets out of hand, call a timeout. Go for a walk. One husband told me once he owes his good help to walk in so much while he's been married. <laughs> communication is important. It, it, it is vitally important. By the way, um, some of you have met Mr. Wonderful before. This is his wife, Mrs. Wonderful. They went to the, uh, the husband and wife store in New York and, and got together. By the way, a, a lady asked me last week what the address of that husband store was in New York. But they, they, they went there and, and they got married and they have learned some things about some communication. So let's listen for a moment and let's see what uh, Mr. Wonderful has to say dealing and talking with his wife. You know, I think it's really important that we talk about our relationship. <laughs> ah, pretty good. Here, you take the remote. As long as I'm with you, I don't care what we watch. <laughs> Boy, he's something. Mm, you look so beautiful in the morning. <laughs> you know, honey, why don't you just relax and let me make dinner tonight? Aw, <laughs> oh, can't your mother stay another week? Can't your mother stay another week? <laughs> All right. See, they, 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 these are good humanistic things. Let's see about uh, 
Mrs. Wonderful, let's see what she's learned about communication. I'll finish cleaning out the garage, honey. Your friends are waiting for you to play golf. <laughs> you don't need a glass. Just go ahead and drink right out of the carton. <laughs> don't worry about taking the trash out. I can use the exercise. <laughs> doesn't matter if you leave the toilet seat up. It makes it easier to clean. <laughs> Don't feel bad, honey. I forgot it was our anniversary, too. <laughs> Communication is important. That's sort of silly and ridiculous, but it's a matter of communication. Let me tell you something I say to every couple I married. There are 12 words every married couple needs to have in their vocabulary, need to practice them fairly regularly. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. I want every married man or woman to repeat those words after me out loud, please. Number one, I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. 12 words, I'm gonna add three more. I need you. Communication, folks, communication. It needs to be inside your marriage. It has to be inside your marriage, communication. And, and then of course, we've got that other part that we talked about, which is chemistry. Chemistry is so important to hold, to cherish, to cheer, to identify with, to, to be intimate with. Remember, you don't own your body, man or woman, it's owned by the other party. And that chemistry is important, is a vital part. It must be a part of every single marriage. Then finally, the last one is celebration. Let me tell you something. Every time I go home, I know when I get there, there's going to be celebration. Do you feel that way? Do you provide that? Are you a part of that? Do you know the joy of that, the thrill of that? Only time I speed is when sometime I'm going home because I know I've got a wife, we're gonna have celebration, we're gonna have fun. Well, that's not the way I am. It's the way you ought to be. So what stays outside of marriage? Sexual promiscuity, adultery, it's gotta stay out. Don't get involved. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life will bring down anyone who stays in that arena. Get out of that arena. Abuse, there's no room for verbal abuse, any other kind of abuse. That's how you're playing the game, stop it. It destroys, it undercuts the happiness, the joy of a marriage. Apathy, taking everybody for granted. There needs to be a surprise, there needs to be an appreciation, a little note, wonders, a little call, wonders, a surprise gift, wonders. No apathy, tension, alert, ready, then inside the marriage, communication, so important. Open your heart, communication, chemistry, celebration, 
And then in the middle of it, you say, I can't do all that. No, you can't. No, I can't. But the Lord Jesus Christ in you, empowered by his spirit, will give you and give me the ability to keep that which is outside of the hedge of marriage outside and that which is inside the hedge of the marriage inside. There's one story I've told every time I've spoken on marriage. I love it because it says volumes to us. Johnny Lingo on the island of Oahu was a very successful young man. He had cattle, wealth, personality. Everybody liked Johnny. And he was the wealthiest man on the whole island of Oahu when he was in his late 20s. And in that day, the way you found a wife or got a wife, you would go to the father and negotiate with the father as to how many cows you would give the father for that daughter. Now, Johnny was noted for his negotiation skills. And there was a man there who had two daughters. The older daughter was, she was not vivacious. She was not unattractive. She was sort of placid and, and didn't have a lot of charisma. And, you know, the father thought, well, you know, the going price for a bride is three cows, and somebody offered me two cows for my older daughter, I'd take it, and maybe after one cow, you know, she, there's no promise. She's just so into herself, does other things, doesn't seem interested in, in men or anything. But his younger daughter was dynamic, and she was a ball of fire. She was cute. She was desirable. Everybody thought she was really something. And so Johnny decided to get married. He went to see this father. And everybody began to speculate in that whole area. Well, Johnny is such a good negotiator. I wonder how many cows he'll offer for that, for that beautiful little gal that he wants to be his wife. Will he offer, you know, maybe four cows, almost unheard of, just to show his generosity? Or will he negotiate with the father and try to get this knocked out gal for for three cows. And so there was speculation. And Johnny went. He sat down with the father and he said, I want to negotiate for your daughter. And he said, well, we'll talk about it, Johnny. And he said, I want to negotiate for your older daughter. My older daughter? My older daughter? Well, she's, you know, I, oh, oh, certainly, Johnny. Uh, what? He said, I offer 10 cows for her. <laughs> 10 cows for, for the older daughter that he thought would never get married, plain, simple, you know, sort of withdrawn. 10 cows. He said, it's a deal. Before he would back out. And so it was arranged. The marriage took place. And now both this older daughter and Johnny announced to all the neighborhoods that we're going on a two-year honeymoon. We'll be back and settle on Oahu after two years. We're gonna just travel around for two years. And so Johnny and this older daughter he'd married, they take off two years. They're gone and news came back that Johnny's coming back. Two years have gone by. They were all in the dock, popular, wealthiest man on the island. And they looked at the boat that were coming. They looked and they immediately recognized Johnny, but they said, who is that female with him? I, I, I don't recognize her. She sort of seems familiar. When they got off, they realized it was the older daughter, the 10-cow wife, and she walked out. They said, whew, 
Man, what a change. She is magnificent. She has poise and charm and radiance that they couldn't imagine. Said, you know, maybe, maybe she's worth 10 cows after all. Total change. What's the point? Men, love your wife the way Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. Women, honor your husband, cheer for your husband, encourage your husband, listen to your husband, and I'll tell you what, the guys will be wiser, the wives will be more beautiful, and you will have around your marriage a hedge that will keep out that which needs to be kept out and to keep in that which needs to be kept in. And ladies and gentlemen, guaranteed by God himself, not me, your marriage will sizzle. That's God's plan for the most intimate relationship human beings can have on this earth. It's up to you. It's up to you. The Holy Spirit in you will empower you and empower me to live out these very basic, profound principles. Do you get it? 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 You think it'll work? Every single time. And you'll get up and sing every day. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going for God's way. Our Heavenly Father. <laughs>